Hello, everyone, and welcome to one of the most exciting podcasts of the year. And this is the Equibase Race Lens Podcast. We get to come to you several times a season to show you all things race lens and how these tools can help you in your handicapping. But certainly when it comes to the Kentucky Derby and the Breeders' Cup World Derby Championships, these are the moments, the races, and the opportunities that we really look forward to most as horse players. I'm Christina Blacker from FanDuel TV. I'm going to be hosting today for you and contributing a little bit as well. And joining me to give their insight, as you can see, Scott Coles, our NHC 2019 champion, Matt Vagvolgi, also an NHC tournament player, third place finisher himself, and a regular contributor on the In the Money podcast. I'm sure you've listened to him there. And then joining us as well is Corey Patton, CEO and co-founder of Pranama Lab. So gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me here today and for offering your insight. I'll get a quick word from each of you, and then we're just going to jump right into it because we have Quite a lot to cover. Scott, first of all, I'll kick it to you. How do you approach the Breeders' Cup as a horse player? Do you know going in what sequences you're interested in, or do you let kind of your handicapping dictate how you're going to wager accordingly? Yeah, I mean, I try to handicap everything and then pick my spots. Um, I'm actually back in the BCBC this year, so I'll be looking at it from that perspective where the the farthest you can go out horizontally is double daily doubles so i'll be looking for my favorite daily double spots and my favorite win bets that i can make and then looking based on those rules the exact um sequence i'm going to choose from there um so i kind of just decide up to the last minute how i'm going to do that and then i'm i have a backup plan in mind in case i don't get the prices i'm looking for the value is not there there's scratches i mean there it's just it's constantly changing but i have a general outline what I'd like to do um yeah the night before each day Matt similar question for you how do you approach this as a horse player and then also with your media work what are you guys working on and bringing together in the last couple of days leading up to Breeders Cup uh you know I'm, I'm basically I, I've become more of a data first into the qualitative uh, handicapping side of it um so I'd like to see kind of where the data takes me and then look to see where those opportunities are I would say that's more on, on a general standpoint of handicapping. Very similar to the Breeders' Cup. Um, I also say, I think the Breeders' Cup is very similar to like uh, Kentucky Derby or even like Saratoga as a meet. I, I don't try to get too far ahead. I try to take as much time as I get closer to uh, let everything kind of settle and to see where I want to be. Uh, very similar to Scott. I'll be back in the um, uh, Breeders' Cup betting challenge. I think it's the, the best uh, cash contest you can play in. So that formulates a lot of opinions as well. So looking at more of, you know, win, exact, to try, and uh, and daily doubles uh, as well. But uh, data first, quantitative into the qualitative for me is how I, uh, how I handicap the races. Speaking of data, Corey, I'll kick it over to you. Uh, can you explain a little bit about your partnership with Equibase and how you assist in bringing all this data together? Yeah, uh, you said it. It's all about data. It's all about looking at hidden combination plays, looking at high percentage things that may not be inherently easy to pull out of multiple, multiple starts and combinations of jockey, trainer, surface, distance, all that stuff. And our company does a, a lot of work with data involving natural language, meaning taking complex amounts of data and then creating digestible narratives, which we call stat lines, which are on the Equibase website for every race, including all the Breeders' Cup races, which gives horse players from super experienced to new and novice players, the ability to kind of look at a race and find some unique betting opportunities that they may not have even known 
to look at and they're fully spelled out in full sentences in natural language prose. And so I'm using that a lot today and what we're going to be discussing. Uh, it's really interesting with the Breeders' Cup because you've got horses coming from all over the place. And unless you have a deep, deep, deep knowledge of every race and every horse and every stakes race and level, it'll give you kind of a bit of a interesting way to take artificial intelligence and make sense of all the races over the two days. I love that with 205 horses pre-entered, we have to have to boil it down some way because it is quite a lot of information to take in. Before we jump into the races, I did want to remind everybody that we do have a couple of promo codes that you'll want to grab your pen and paper, jot down right now. So the first is a product promo that is open to all customers. This is 30% off all race lens and Equibase past performance subscriptions. The promo code for that one is EQ. BBC30, EQBBC30. And then for new customers, so if you're just joining us today, you're curious about Racelens, you're learning a little bit about it, you can try Racelens for one month for $1, just a dollar to go ahead and dive in and definitely maximize that this weekend with all that Breeders' Cup information. The promo code there is RLBC1, RL Racelens BC1. And then we talked a little bit about stat lines already. That is free to everyone. You can access that within the entry section of the website. So as far as the format goes, because we do have 14 championship races and we're coming to you pretty quickly on the heels of all those races being officially drawn on Monday, we are going to each dive into the juvenile, the distaff and the classic. We have all chosen an alternate race to chime in on as well, but we're all available. Uh, I certainly am on X formerly known as Twitter. If you want to send any questions, if you have any insights with regard to other races that you're curious about, please do reach out to us. So we're going to start on Friday with the FanDuel Breeders' Cup Juvenile presented by the Thoroughbred Aftercare Alliance. $2 million on the line. We're going the Mountain the 16th on the fast main track. Scott, we'll let you begin with your selection. All right. Um, yeah, so we're looking at the PPs here. Um, so in Race Lens, there's, there's, there's a lot of different colors that kind of like highlight things for you and a lot of different features. But And also there's the projected ratings that before you go to the pace projector itself, it kind of gives you a look at, you know, the different pace figures um and you see for Muth will be my top pick um first early first middle second late that usually adds up to a pretty strong finish um now the problem with the juveniles you don't know a lot about all these horses there's a lot to be said they're not all battle tested we don't know exactly the comparative class so there, there's a lot of things here but um I think in the last race after two sprints to a route um kind of passed the first test. I don't think it was all that tough of a field, but I, I like that they rated the horse. I like that there's an education getting behind horses, um, showed a pretty high natural cruising speed and a pretty big gallop out. Um, good magic and uncle Mo and the bloodlines, both of them juvenile winners, um, both kind of had really good two-year-old seasons. Um, and I just think everything steps up to like take another step forward here. I, I certainly won't be singling in this race. There's a lot of horses I think could jump up and win this, but um, that one's got my eye um, kind of in Bob Baffert's backyard. And um, I just think, I just really think he uh, is the one to beat. I think of the Baffert's, yeah, he would be the horse for me as well. Looks like he is all router that son. Of good magic, and we remember good magic actually broke his maiden in the juvenile. Uh, Matt, how about you? Who interests you in the two-year-old race? Uh, I took a look at um, at Timberlake, the number four, um, taking a slight negative view um, of the horse that Scott just just uh, just mentioned, uh, Muth. Um, 
the reason being, I just feel like those races were a bit soft right now. I could be totally wrong. Like Scott said as well. I mean, you can see these horses jump up and, and, and go to the next level. Um, but you know, one of the things I really like about race plans, when you, for, when you select a horse and open it up, there's so much data right in front of you, right? And there's simple ways to click through and to take a look at some specific angles and just looking at it from a very basic standpoint, you look at it from uh, on a trainer side with Brad Cox uh, over the last five years uh, on the dirt with graded stakes, uh, specifically with two-year-olds, um, you know, 23% on the win end and a very nice, healthy, uh, positive 10% uh, ROI. So something very simple and easy, I can start to get an idea or a view of how well, uh, how well the uh, connections do in this particular instance, the uh, trainer uh, does in this particular race. Another thing as well, we look at the front page here, you get an idea of, um, you know, how the jockey's doing as well. Um, now that's something that not a lot of people are high on. I am just, it's more of an athlete thing. I looked, I think numbers kind of uh, bring up uh, confidence uh, to a rider. And I, I think uh, Florence riding with a lot of confidence. So I'd like to see that coming into this particular race. The big part is I just think this horse gets the perfect trip, right? I do think there's going to be a lot of pace up front. Um, I, you know, I just haven't seen Moose really get, press i think will get pressed in this particular race here so i think sits the sits the trip um does have the top late pace rating in this race that's something again i love with the race lines you can you can run these angles or you can do something as simple as just toggle through um the late pace late pace features here as well so i think sitting off that pace being able to to, to take that shot and what i think to be a pretty pretty quick pace uh up front um you know again i just think has a much better finish and uh, I think can, can get the job done here. And, and just, if you look at, at Santa Anita, if you go specifically at a mile and a 16th on the dirt with the best late pace rating, uh, a very nice 28% uh, uh, win percentage is a negative ROI, but I do like that percentage given the kind of sample that we have here. Uh, so again, pace setup, I think has the best finish. I think can take it home in uh, in this race and uh, and knock off Muth in, in this case. I do like Locked as well coming in underneath. Uh, so for me, it's going to be a pretty nice cold exact at there for six. Uh, we look at the juvenile. All right, I like it. So we have uh, Scott with Muth, Matt with Timberlake. Corey, are you going in either of those directions or looking to another horse? That's the best thing about horse racing is everybody can have an opinion and an angle, and I'm having a different angle than either of those two. So I'm actually going with a horse that everybody thought was a wow horse coming out of his maiden breaker back at Saratoga. That's the number nine, Fierceness. Uh, and you're getting a really good price with Pletcher and Johnny V on it for Mike Rapoli. You know, that's a really deadly combination of those three. If you look at it, he completely broke his maiden uh, in back in Saratoga, won by 11 links, posted 101 Equibase speed figure, which is the highest of any horse in this field on their debut. Uh, the second, the third, the seventh place horse in that race all came back to win a maiden special weight in the next start. That was one of our key races at Statlines uh, before he ran back at that point. So that's one you got to take a look at. Now, there's an interesting other angle that Statlines pulled out that may be coincidence, but it's kind of interesting to look at. So Fierceness last started over the aqueduct strip, you know, the Belmont at Big A meet. Pletcher has done this before. He has brought a horse to Santa Anita that last started at aqueduct only two times before, and he won both times. One with Vino Rosso in 2019, and then with Leah's Secret back in 2009. Both in those stakes races. Johnny B, who's up today, won that last race, the Gold Cup in 2019, on Vino Rosso, and Vino Rosso just happens to be the sire of two horses in today. So it's one of the things you just love about horse racing and all those things come together. But if you look at his last effort, it was terrible. You know, in the slop, 
He's not been over a clean strip yet. He was in the champagne. He was the huge favorite on that day, kind of stumbled starts, super uncomfortable, checked in the backstretch, wide entering, you know, in the, in the entire race. And he was just kind of wrapped up on not persevered. And the two horses that won kind of rode up that rail to finish clear. So I'm going to give him another chance. And if he can avoid a pace deal, duel, which is yet to be seen because he does like to have that, that front end speed, I uh, should have a say in this one for Napoleon Pletcher at six to one. And I'll take that price. If I'm looking for a little bit longer price, a little bit of a longer shot, I'm also going to come out of the champagne with the eight general partner. And that's that Chad Brown, Manny Franco combo. Um, last out in that champagne, just went way too fast and paid the price. I think he can set a better trip today. And if Manny can get him to rate it all, that sanity to surface carry speed a little bit better than that on track probably. So I did have two things out of my stat lines, which is why I wanted to bring that horse up. that make me kind of give him a look. So in that champagne 23 days ago, he set this half mile pace about 45 and change. Uh, and that's on that dirt on that strip, finishing second, six and a quarter lengths ahead of that third place horse. And he posted that 95 Equibase speed figure doing it. Over the past 60 days, that's the fastest half mile of any dirt route runner up at any track at any level that she had to run back yet. Also that 95 Equibase speed figure, it's tied for the second best speed figure of over the last 45 days of any two-year-old stakes non-winner at any track that she had to run back. So I'm looking at it, he's fast, just depends on if he could throttle it back a little bit in this one and sit a better trip. I like it. I'm uh, gonna be stealing some of your notes here for <laughs> the broadcast a little bit later on. And I like what you had to say about fierceness too. And I think you can see that uh, reflected in his Echo base speed figures as well. We talk a lot about using a lot of different kind of data. Um, if you're a thoroughgraph player, his thoroughgraph figure for that first start definitely stands out amongst all of the horses uh, in this group. I'm going to go with Timberlake in here, the number four. I'm in agreement with Matt. Uh, there's a couple of different things that have kind of pushed me in his direction. We can pick up the replay of the champagne, and we're going to take this as they start to sort of approach the turn. I think when you're talking about two-year-olds, and when you're watching replays, Horses that are able to do things, you know, they're extremely difficult when they're this young. It really sets them apart. Timberlake is the three horse in here. He's kind of buried in behind horses. It's a bit of an off track in the champagne, and he's completely boxed in. You saw coming away from the gate, he broke okay, not, you know, super sharp, but he just wasn't able to establish any more of a position than this. But I think this was all right in the end because he really learned something. Now, right here, the race is starting to kind of get away from him. You can see. And Florent Giroux is going to quickly shake the reins, kind of taps him on the shoulder once, and you get an immediate response from this horse. He angles out, he shifts outside the pace setter. And I love what you see from him at deep stretch here. He just showed quite a bit of maturity. Running on the turns like that is a difficult thing for a young horse to do, uh, making that kind of maneuver and being that professional. So young in his career, I think is uh, speaks volumes of his class and his quality. The other thing, and we can cut out of this because he is going to go ahead and, and pull clear of the second place finisher that day. That was General Partner, who, again, will be back. And that was the horse that you just heard from with Corey in the early speed. But the other thing about Timberlake is he is going two turns for the first time. So I did look in to his dam, and I just was curious about what she was good at. And you can see looking through her form, she was all two turns, all route pedigree. Now, she was in Europe, and she was on synthetic, and she was on the turf course. But you have a win back there at the mile and a half, mile and three quarters. I mean, she debuted going around a ground. So I don't really have much concern about him trying the two turns. I know for a long time, we talked a little bit about the into mischiefs, maybe not getting as much of a, a route of ground as some of the others. But in the way that he has been so successful as a stallion, he's been bred back to these mares that have more stamina. 
And I think you're starting to see a real shift in those statistics. The other thing was uh, Matt mentioned, he does have the fastest late pace figure of the field. If you so sort and filter that just slightly faster than Muth. So you're not seeing a huge margin there. And then I pulled another little angle and, and I loved Matt's angle with regard to the horses from Brad Cox's barn. And I tried to sort of make it difficult because I think when you pull a lot of angles from Brad Cox, they're all pretty good. But this particular one, uh, two-year-olds on the dirt in their first attempt at the route, the first route for any trainer, the first route for any stallion is all pretty difficult. And that's a 23% win rate. So that's pretty high in terms of the situational stats, 53% in the money. I did want to make a quick note on Locked. I know we heard about him already. Locked is really impressive to me. And what ultimately kind of turned me away from him is Todd Pletcher hasn't had the most success coming out here in these West Coast Breeders' Cups. So I didn't put him on top, but I do think that you have to appreciate this horse and the way that he won at Keeneland and his sire, Gunrunner. Again, here's a pretty difficult statistic, and it's very small. It's not the huge sample size that you want all the time. But when you're talking about the offspring of Gunrunner at the dirt route, two-year-olds grade one stakes wins or stakes races. So we made this as specific as possible. Not a huge amount of horses that have fallen into this category, but you do end up with a pretty strong win rate in the end, 27% winners from the offspring of Gunrunner. And then they do their fair share, uh, certainly of hitting the board as well, 64%. So those were the two horses for me. And we heard from the others in regards to their horses, a couple different angles, different directions you can go if you're playing the juvenile this year. Before we move ahead, I had one other horse on that program that I wanted to point out. And we're going to jump back to race number five. This is the juvenile turf sprint at five furlongs on the turf course. And the horse for me is the number four in here, Big Evs. Uh, I have watched the most recent race for every horse running on Friday and Saturday. And I'm going to tell you, Big Evs, I think is the horse that blew me away the most. You can go back and look at his last race, the Flying Childers, if you want to pull it up on YouTube. Uh, if you are a TVG customer, all of those European replays are available on our website. If you just type in the horse name under race replays, he pops the gate. He flies away from there. I don't know if I've seen a two-year-old that's this fast from the gate and that could pour it on like this. There's one bad race on his form. It was against older. That was a very gutsy move to go ahead and try and take on the olders and the Nunthorpe there. So Big Evs will be the horse for me uh, in the juvenile turf sprint. Let's jump back ahead on the Friday program to race number seven. We're going to go juvenile Phillies turf this time. And Corey, we'll let you begin here with who you like. Yeah, I I like you watched a lot of video coming into this to look at some moves that may not have been seen or some breathtaking turn of foot. And I found one that I really liked in, today, in this race. And I know it's the four to one favorite, but in this race, I think it's it's deep. It's There's a lot of European invaders. We don't know a ton about them, so it makes it a little bit harder. That's kind of the beauty of the Breeders' Cup, if you look at it, where you just don't have all the data because you do have horses coming in from different continents and all over the other, all over the world. So it makes it tougher to really do the handicapping sometimes. But if you just look at the data that we've got, I like the number 11, She Feels Pretty. It's going to be kind of a, there's a lot more up than downside on this, but some of the stats I think are pretty remarkable. Um, our stat lines pulled out one. She Feels Pretty exits a key stakes race. That's that grade one Johnny Walker and the Talbot stakes on September 16th at Woodbine. Five runners, the second, 10th, 11th, 12th, and 13th runner uh, place horses out of that race came back to win their next start. And that's pretty big for a key race. She finished first. Obviously, she hasn't run back yet. But if you watch that race, when she came around the turn, that striking turn of foot kind of 
you know, making her way from the back after that bobbled start really looked professional the way she did it. And it does seem like the kind of horse that will appreciate that firmer turf at Santa Anita. So I'm really watching how that horse kind of picks up pace in the, in the stretch. And I think that she'll sit the trip a bit better because all that West Coast speed that's in there, Buttercream Babe's going to go, Dreamfire will probably go. And I really think that she won't be quite as far back this time. And she'll probably get the jump in my mind on the Euros because they tend to sometimes fall out of the gate uh, at this age and they don't, they, they make their one run late and, she feels pretty should probably have the jump on him in that case. Um, since the beginning of the year is another one. DeVoe and Velasquez are hitting at 45% together. That's a pretty big number. So they're 5'11 and eight of those times in the money together. So that's an interesting one to look at. One other thing, if she goes off favored, DeVoe is over the past six days, 60 days is two of three, winning at about 67% when she has the post-time favorite of all levels. If she has it this year, take uh, this, this race, take a look at it. The only thing I'll say that might be a knock is this is her first ever starter at Santa Anita. So we'll have to kind of just see how that plays out. And I'll give you one more in this race. Let's go to the number five content. Since when do you get 15 to one on Aiden O'Brien and Ryan and Moore in the Breeders' Cup? You got to look at that. And, and I, honestly, I don't know a ton about this horse because it's one of those that's coming in from Europe and I don't have all that data in my stat lines tool. But, you know, three of nine in Breeders' Cup races together over the past year, two years, including winning this race last year with, you know, Meditate. I, I would say that's one you got to take a look at. Right. Um, Galileo, again, 0 for 5 uh, as a sire in the juvenile Phillies turf, only hit the board once. But. He did win the boys' version in 2018 with Line of Duty. But at 15 to 1, I'll take those connections all day long. Yeah, I like it. And and if if Content can finish like that over soft turf at the Cura, I mean, she's going to mm -hmm. fly at Santa Anita. That's one thing to keep in mind. Oh, I also agree. find it so interesting with Cherie DeVoe, you know, she and she feels pretty. Definitely the best American chance in the race. This was the race that really put Chad Brown on the map. Remember, in his very first year of training, he won this race. She worked for him for years and it would just be uh, so interesting to see if, if it's the race in terms of the Raiders cup that really continues on with a breakout season for her. She's had a phenomenal year. So good luck to Cherie DeVoe, quite a few Raiders cup contenders for her this year. Okay. Let's jump ahead to Saturday and we are going to begin our analysis in race number five, Breeders' cup, Philly and mare sprint at the seven furlong distance. We do have our returning champion, in here in Goodnight Olive, taking on another group this year off a stellar win last year and a big season last year as well, a championship season at Keeneland. And Scott, this will be your alternate race, so we'll let you begin here. Yeah, nothing too clever. I just There's just some things to talk about and some things to like. Um, when you're looking at the PPs and you're looking at this distance, I mean, just completely dominant. Eight starts, six wins, a place in a show. Um, so, I mean, it's just the perfect distance. You've got... If you look, another feature on race lens is that green circle. Um, well, in this case, it means a lot of things, but that the highest equity speed figure at this distance surface for the race in the whole field um, in, a, in a lost Echo Zulu, which, I mean, no shame in that horse is super fast. I, I don't know if it was the best trip. You can watch it and be the judge. It was also in the slop. Um, there's a few few excuses there. You get You have a horse that is just kind of got even when the horse gets boxed in outside of one time where they just got completely stuck, which um, I wasn't too happy about because I am a fan of the horse, but the bully mentality of the horse, the bully mentality of the jockey, assuming he doesn't get him, get her DQ'd. I mean, I just think those come in handy is proven that she's won from the rail before no problem getting stuck inside can sit 
close enough. It's one on a variety of tracks. I mean, if you're looking for a single, unless you love a horse in this race, I mean, it's the type of horse that, that I can get behind with so many things going, going for in the favor. If you're, if you can find value on either side in the daily double. Um, and if you go to the true odds page, um, if you sort by late pace for a horse that can sit this close to the pace, that's a huge advantage in the late pace figure. Um, that's another feature, whether you agree with it or not. I mean, you can decide for yourself both in the pace projection and that, but I mean, that adds up to a horse sitting that close to the pace and a horse that can finish that much better than the rest of the field equals a win in my book. But again, you, there's so many different sets of figures out there and you have to kind of do your own work on that and make sure everything's coming up. Right. Um, but I just, I just think with the, the way this one shakes out, it's, it's a horse that I'm going to consider singling in some bets and try to get some value on um, maybe in the fourth and the sixth race that day and see what I can find and link up with a daily double. Yeah. Scott, you mentioned that to begin just uh, you know, those doubles kind of attractive when you're playing and, and in terms of any of the sequences, leveraging horses like that, that you have a lot of confidence in, uh, in any other sequences can definitely help you. Let's move ahead to race number seven. It's a Breeders' Cup distaff, the Longines Breeders' Cup distaff. $2 million on the line here at the mile and eighth distance. Scott, we'll keep it with you here. Who do you like in the distaff? I'm pretty torn. I, this is a really, really tough race. Um, so <laughs> when there's a tough race and you know, and if you continue to hear that there's a lot of on the wide variety of opinions, there is value in singling. If you can, you know, boldly do so. Um, if I had to single right now, I, it would be tough for me to separate the, Number five, Adair Manor and the four idiomatic, but I'm I'm leaning towards Adair Manor for a few different reasons. Um, I like that she's drawn outside of the four and is going to get a look at exactly what the four is going to do. I I think that there's quite a few ways this this pace can shake out. And I mean, who's your filly from the rail? You, I'm I'm thinking they're just going to dead send that horse, but you know, every time I have a plan like that, it just never seems to pan out. So I, I love that Adair Manor can kind of see what the one and the four are both going to do and has the ability to press or to lead and whichever happens i don't i'm comfortable with either i mean the horse has shown the ability in the last two starts to win from both on and just off the pace and that versatility is huge in a race like this um with like i said the the two that i'm worried about shaking up the pace like inside so um again we're in baffert's backyard i just I came up with one angle. I mean, that I, that I think is interesting. And then kind of what you've seen from some of the other analysts on here so far, I, I just tried to make it as specific as possible. So you've got, you've got two years and with that modify button on the right, you can kind of, you don't have to click on it, but you can kind of like make it your own. So you can, you can throw a bunch of filters in here. And I found it interesting that the past two years, dirt only routes with females and graded stakes. I mean, Bob Baffert with a, decent enough sample size a 41 percent win rate jumps off the page to me and i mean always has these types of horses ready when he gets a good one and just i not so sure what she's been running against but i i know that she'll be ready to run that day and um i think you're gonna you could easily get double the price with some of the hype that as idiomatic has so i just think there's a lot of value in this horse and that's where i'm leaning right now um but i still you know could change my mind we'll see it's a very 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 tough race it's a really tough race and there's a lot of speed in the distaff this year and how you kind of see that shaking out really determines, I think, who you end up on. Corey, what about you? Who's your top pick in the distaff? 
Yeah, I mean, I agree. This is a really tough race. And when you start to, to look at races and break them down, you know you're going to get quality because it's the Breeders' Cup, right? But this one's a very interesting one. You can go a million ways. I decided to go with a bit of a price. And I know what five to one doesn't sound like a lot of a price, but you're going to have a lot of movement and you're going to have a lot of speed and you're going to have a lot of horses that will go up and down, I think, you know, at first click. So what I looked at with search results is, again, look, you're getting Chad Brown and, you know, Ortiz Jr. That's that's pretty good connections to start with, right? Um Obviously, I'm going to look at what this horse has run against, you know, 14 straight greatest stakes races. So got the class. The last race was a little bit softer, um, did post that 113 Equibase speed figure in it. But there's an interesting stat that our stat lines pulled out as well. So in that race, in that, you know, stakes race at Churchill, that grade three, search results that day set the pace, right? Went on to win, you know, 142 and change. That 113 Equibase speed figure, it's tied for the best figure of any dirt route, half mile race leader, and then subsequent winner across the U.S. and Canada in the past 60 days. So I'm looking at that as there might be some quality there, even though she didn't face very much. But there's also a question about her distance. Okay, what about this distance at a mile and an eighth? Well, four times. Run that distance four times, got a win, two seconds in that dreadful six last year in this race, which was pretty bad, right? Um, she did register that 113 back at the distance uh, at Saratoga in the summer of 22. Uh, she, she's con uh, con increased her Equibase speed figures three consecutive races um, and carved out in this last race a couple of 22 and chain mid change middle quarters uh, before running away against that softer group. There's a lot of pace signed on in here. Uh, I'm going to look for her to sit in that second flight and make one run. Now, with that said, there's a couple of knocks based on stats that are interesting. Uh, even though she's won at the distance, there's still a couple of pedigree thoughts, right? Flatter, uh, offspring of Flatter, even though she's proven it there, they win at average distance of about a little under seven furlongs, which, you know, this is going to go a bit of a distance of ground. And then that Candy Ryan Bears, um, just four for 32 all-time in dirt route races at Santa Anita, running out 20 times. So, you know, those are uh, pedigree angles that are edgy, but having run this many times, they're probably not things you need to consider too much in your handicapping. And I'll do one thing. I'm going to go to one of the favorites that there's a lot of buzz on with Clarier. Um, and I'm going to put a couple of stats there that may, may make you think twice about playing that horse. Um, Asmussen and Rosario have never won a race together at Santa Anita. They're 0 for 8. They've only had three times in the money. Uh, Rosario and Asmussen have not won a stakes route race together in the last 90 days. They're 0 for 7. Uh, and they are 1 for 11 together in Breeders' Cup races all time. They did win with Echo Zulu in the Juvenile Phillies in 2021, um, but it doesn't. Uh, they're not winning in bunches at the Breeders at the Breeders Cup together. All right, a little caution on Clarier out there, and a top selection with search results. The number six horse in the just staff, Matt. Do you have a different opinion? Are you going to select one of the horses that we've heard about already? Well, I'll keep the, uh, this is a tough race train rolling. Uh, I, I agree with that as well, which makes me now want to try to find a horse to, uh, to, to play, to play hard in this. Uh, I'm going to agree with Scott. I think Adair Manor has a, a, a very, a very good shot in this race. Uh, you know, again, when you, you take a look at the PPs, it's, it's obvious, but again, you see it all the time with, with, uh, with Baffert and JJ hooking up. I mean, they're just off the charts together. Uh, but I think this is the kind of horse that, Juan Hernandez rides perfectly, right? And you watched, I've been watching him since Golden Gate. And when you take a look at just where I see this trip to, to potentially set up, and again, there's going to be some hope here, 
right? Because I'm, I'm getting into this horse based on where I think the projected early pace is going to come from. And, you know, I, I think it really lies in a horse that I don't think really has a, has a shot in here. And that's the one who's your Philly. I think that changed the size. I handicap intent there. And there's one way to go, right? You can't take back off that, off that inside post and, and get stuck, right? I think the, the, the idea is going to be to, to go. I think that potentially hooks up a Yomatic on the front end. And it just puts, uh, it puts a dare manor in a perfect spot right off that pace. And, and again, going back to that, that, that pace idea, looking at it on, on race lines, you can, there's a couple of different, I would say flows of pace that I look for depending upon the race and the distance, a U shape, you know, a, a good early pace to get positions settled nicely. you kind of middle of the pack, middle pace figure and a strong finish. This is a very nice ascending pace figure uh, line here early middle and late pace very nice finish i think and has shown that this horse can can sit and and just kind of take a look to see when that best time is to push the button and go um there's a lot of different ways uh, to, to go here but i just think the way i see this race setting up i think the connections i think this is a perfect horse uh for for juan hernandez here and i think uh, gets the job done here and again you get this you know four to one five to one you know kind of lukewarm uh type of price on this horse might be a good uh, a good opportunity to take a shot. So for me, it's going to be the five Adair Manor uh, here in the, uh, in the in the distaff. All right, two for Adair Manor, and we heard uh, Corey's cautions about Clarier. I'm going to jump right into it, and she's my top pick. <laughs> I like the nine Clarier, but as he said earlier, that is what's great about horse players and about this game. We're playing against each other, and uh, if you have a strong opinion, you got to go for it. One of the first things that really jumped out to me about her was taking a look back at those speed figures that she earned in last year's Breeders' Cup Distaff. And let's remember that race, three noses on the line, Malathot, Blue Stripe, Clarier, Nest was fourth that day. This was one of the races of the weekend. And you can see it's one of her best of her life. She ran the race of her life in that race. And what's interesting and most interesting about this is that you're dealing with the same layoff going into that race, that August 27th race in the personal ensign, the bit of a freshening and into the Breeders' Cup. That's exactly what we have this year. The August 25th effort in the personal ensign this year at Saratoga, and then the same type of layoff coming into the Breeders' Cup. She's also one of the horses that has come very early for Steve Asmussen. He's done this uh, in many years. He likes to get his horses here and give them kind of a home court advantage in that they train here for so long. I also want to pick up the replay in the shoe V, and this is the race two back. And we'll just take a look from the quarter pole home because in her last race in the personal ensign, it's pretty disappointing, right? She went over a sloppy track. She was fifth in a field of six. It's not what you wanted to see. Idiomatic was the winner that day. But I think this is why. She ran her guts out chasing Nest in the Shoe V two races back. She's in those Stone Street silks. And all she did was chase, 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 chase throughout this entire race. And Nest is, you know, one of the classiest and most quality fillies and in, in into the, her older season as we've seen in the last couple of years. And Clarier just couldn't catch her. I think a race like this, when a horse leaves it all out there on the table, really takes a lot out of them. And I think you saw the results of that in her poor performance in the personal ensign. I love the fact that she has been freshened coming into the race. And I'm hoping that if she gets back to that type of form that we saw from her in the Breeders' Cup last year with this same layoff, we can see a career best. She's drawn outside. There's so much speed. I like Clarier this year to come back and, and hopefully uh, get her nose down in time if there is another three-horse photo on the wire. I also pulled some individual research with regard to Curlin, 
And it is noteworthy that this same statistic does apply to idiomatic. So if you like idiomatic, you can kind of use this angle and in individual research with regard to her curlin over the past year. And I set it pretty specifically to uh, nine furlongs and above. You get 22% winners, 39 or 47% in the money, a plus 39 ROI and a median win payout of $6.78. I also think if you take a look just to idiomatic versus Adair Manor, idiomatic to me looks like she's going so much easier. They're both huge. They're both Amazon-like. If you just look at them up close, they have those big strides. But I think idiomatic just kind of bounds along at an easier clip to me than Adair Manor does. So it's going to be Clarier for me in the distaff, some different opinions uh, amongst all of us, but pick up uh, what was interesting to you or maybe take another horse if you like someone else in there. My alternate race, and I'm going to keep going with you here, is race number eight on the program on Saturday in the Breeders' Cup turf. And I just want to point out a couple of things that I think are really noteworthy because this is one of the best editions of the turf that we have seen in years. We'll start with August Rodan. He's the five horse for Aiden O'Brien, three-year-old son of deep impact. And just overview, just in terms of his form, last time out, you can see he was the win of the champion stakes at Leopardstown. I was on the air from our studio at home, able to cover that race. And he was so impressive. He really had to battle for it. It was a more taxing race than I think you want coming into the Breeders' Cup, but I think he showed a lot of class that day. But I think if you also look at his form, you can see some pretty bad races. You see the King George two starts back. That was over good to soft ground. You see the effort in the English 1000 guineas back in May. That was over soft ground to terrible performance for him there. He tends to get warm. He tends to have a mind of his own. Uh, he can be pretty difficult. And Ryan Moore has basically eased him in a couple of his performances because he just knows when this horse isn't running, he isn't running. So the, the question is, which August Rodin is going to show up come Saturday? He gets the ground that he wants. He gets the pace to run at that he wants. But are these new circumstances going to be difficult for him? Because mentally, I think he's one that they've always had a bit of a hard time with. But the reason to come here, and a big part of it, not only in addition to the purse money, is his, his pedigree. Deep impact out of that Galileo Mayor rhododendron. This is one of the most internationally attractive stallion prospects that we have in the world right now. And to add a Breeders' Cup to his resume, that's a big part of the reason why he has targeted this race for a long time. So August Rodin, definitely one of the best three-year-olds in the country, in the world, if you are looking to him. King of Steel is the other horse I wanted to make a, just a real quick note about. Uh, he's been defeated by August Rodin a few times. He's another three-year-old in this field, a son of Wooten Bassett, and he won the champion stakes, and that was just a couple weeks ago, October the 21st, over very demanding going. They had an absolute deluge in England. A lot of horses, including most of off, scratched from those races because the ground was so bad. He was able to win over maybe a subpar field as far as what you'll get from these races year in, year out. But can he come back and run another big race like that on the quick return? You consider the travel. They're asking a lot of King of Steel. He's a big, strong, robust horse. I think he thrives on the racing, but it's something to consider if you are choosing him on top. A couple more horses just to mention really quick. The two, Ernesto, he was third in the arc. If you have a moment at some point, go back and watch that. Uh, now that is going right-handed versus left-handed. But to me, uh, that turn of foot is one of the best that I think I've seen of any horse in this field. When he really turns it on, Ernesto can fly and he should appreciate Southern California. Of the American-based horses, the eight horse up to the mark, I think is one that a lot of people are going to end up picking. Uh, he's he's a horse that you can't argue with his recent resume and those wins. Let's take a look back at Keeneland just real quickly in the turf mile. And we'll pick it up uh, as they start into the turn. 
And the reason I want to do this is because I think up to the mark is one of those horses that takes a little while to get his stride going. Now he's sitting back. He's the five horse in here. He's pretty towards the outside. And as soon as you start to see the rider ask him, it just takes him a few jumps. And I don't think you see kind of that handiness and that a real athleticism that makes this horse so impressive right there. You see kind of shakes the reins. It takes him two or three strides to get going at Keeneland. He follows the winner right on through master of the seas this day. And he's or the second place winner. She, and he's able to catch him. It was pretty impressive, but I don't think he runs the turns as well as he can. And I think that's going to catch up with him at Santa Anita, not to say that he can't be involved in this race or can't, you know, have something to say about the outcome. But for me, it's a concern because I think the lighter, smaller, handier individuals are the horses that really like Southern California. I, I always kind of point to that with any horse shipping in here. My top pick in the race is going to be the nine most Uh He's fresh for this race. As I mentioned, he skipped the champion stakes because of the ground, but he has really spaced out. John Gosden has this horse's races this year, and I think it's helping him quite a bit. He's going to get the conditions that he wants in here. And bear in mind, if you look at his lifetime record, I know he hasn't won at the mile and a half, but we do start on the hill in this race. So you come downhill for quite a portion of the race, that first uh, six for or first half a mile before they join up with the main course. So it's kind of a soft mile and a half. If you think about it, same thing for the Philly and mare turf at the mile and a quarter, it's a soft mile and a half. He was sent to the lead in the Jedmont international last time out. Frankie rode a very aggressive race on him. He has enough speed, I think, to put himself into the race. So in the end, I'll take the older horse for John Gosden, Mostadoff, off uh, in terms of a very deep and very competitive edition of the Breeders' Cup turf this year. We'll move back on to Matt with our alternate races. Matt, you're going to jump ahead to towards the end of the day. Bear in mind this year, the classic goes as race number nine. Then we have the turf sprint and the sprint coming later. So who do you like in the turf sprint? Yeah, trying to get some ideas for uh, for after the classic, which will be interesting in uh, terms of a Breeders' Cup betting challenge uh, perspective. Um, I'm going to take a look at a, at a horse that I wasn't really on to begin with, and then more and more I've looked, uh, I'm getting on to to, to Carabelle. And, and the reason being, you know, again, Breeders' Cup race. I think a lot of a lot of folks look at these five furlong sprints as kind of a a, a toss up. Um, and especially those last two, um, you know, the, those you know, last two performances, again, not the greatest when you're looking at odds on losses like that. Right. But I think had you know an odd trip in Detroit, just missed at Keeneland, uh, hoping, you know, and you look at the different surfaces uh, that, that, you know, this horse ran on. Uh, hopefully that's enough for the public to start looking elsewhere and maybe get a little bit of a price here on, on Caravelle. But again, I think a, a very versatile horse can grab the lead, can sit off the pace, right? Can certainly take, take a look and, and, and wait. Um, but taking a look at pace, right? If you look at it from, from, a, um, from a race lens point of view, and we take a look, we talked about late pace before. Let's take a look at um, you know, the projected leader, right? So I looked at five furlongs specifically at St. Anita, uh, projected on the lead. And if you take the longest sample, you look out at, out at it over a five-year period, Right. Out of 77 starts, right, we've got 27% wins and a positive, a positive 2% ROI there. So again, forwardly placed horses certainly do well. That five throw along, there's a lot of things that can happen early that can change that. Um, but I think again, projected to be on the lead, but I think can take a step back and 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 maybe play off that early speed, which you know, potentially you look at nobles, you look at um uh living the dream, potentially I think can can hook up and get together uh on on the front end. Um, to come back to, to, to Brad Cox on, on a trainer angle, uh, this is an angle I use often, uh, just kind of in general, that eight to 30 day 
layoff on the turf. And if you look at it over the past year, right, over 36 starts, 28% wins and a positive 127% ROI. So this is something that really hits, you know, Brad Cox, uh, a square when it comes to these, these types of, uh, these types of races. Um, you know, as I mentioned, I think the pace comes from nobles and, uh, and, uh, 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 from the, uh, from the five of the dream, um, jockey, you know, you look at a jockey trainer connection here between Gaff Leon and, and Brad Cox. And again, I, I love that quick drop down there of getting to see all of those, uh, all of those stats right in front of you. Um, just, just ridiculous together in terms of, um, in terms of their success. Um, now I will bring up a couple negative angles and I guess you can kind of take a look and go whichever way you want with this, right? Look at it as a way to fade horses, or if you're kind of the, uh, you know, the, the ultimate game theory type, you may uh, look to play these horses. Um, looking at it from a perspective of at Santa Anita, if we're looking at turf sprints and it's first time in, in North America, right? So looking at a sample of 24 total starts, not one win, right? Barely hitting the board. That's something that really jumped out to me, right? So if you look at, again, first time in North America, turf sprint specifically at Santa Anita, not a single win out of those uh, out of those 24 starts another angle as well if you look at it from San Anita uh turf sprint posted your post position 10 plus right again not showing the best results either uh 83 starts just eight percent wins and a negative 32 percent ROI so again I, I kind of give those as more general because it does hit in a few different spots here on Breeders' Cup weekend um, but I thought the one uh, for turf sprints the first time in, uh, in North America, uh, not getting the job done at all out of any of those starts is something that I may want to, uh, I may want to fade. So hopefully those last couple of races is enough for the public to get off of Caravelle. Hopefully I get a decent price and I'll be looking to play uh, number three Caravelle in the British Cup turf sprint. Looking to go back to back in the turf sprint Caravelle. We have four returning champions this year in the Breeders' Cup. She is one of them. Okay, we're going to jump in to the big race of the weekend, and we actually go back because it's race number nine. The classic this year is run before the sprint and the turf sprint. Mile and a quarter, the classic distance. Matt, we'll keep it with you. Who's your top pick here? Uh, this is my. This will be my best bet um, of the weekend uh, for me. Um, this seemed to be a very popular bet, which makes me a little nervous, but uh, we'll be going number three, uh, White Barrio. Um, Absolute, absolute blowout winner in the Whitney. Um, I was in the stretch area at Saratoga. The elevation and just the closeness of where I was, that turn of foot on the far turn was something else. And I, you know, in horse racing, I try not to uh, to fall in love with what my eyes are telling me, but man, that's tough. It was really tough. That was quite the turn of foot. I just think this horse is coming into the, the Breeders' Cup Classic absolutely at the top, at the top of this game. And I'm really looking forward to seeing this horse run. I think gets the right trip too. I expect Saudi Crown is all or nothing to the lead. Arabian Night, I think, will be up there as well. But I again could potentially press a bit and push that pace along. I think maybe steps back a little bit and lets um, and, and lets Saudi Crown go. Um, so I, I think that from a pace perspective, just sitting right behind that, right? So sitting right behind that pace. And if you look at it from a, a, on a pace angle and going a little bit deeper into it. To, to look and say, okay, at, at Santa Anita, looking at dirt routes, I looked at an angle where projected to be just off the pace. So no worse than third at the first and second call. All right. So specifically looking exactly where I think this horse will, will sit in this race and then combine that, adding another layer on top of it in that position, 
what have the horses done that have had the best late pace in this particular race, sitting that type of trip and, and a very, very nice uh, 39% win and still a positive ROI. I expected that ROI to be negative in this particular instance, getting that kind of trip. But, but again, I love the success on that. I think again, Saudi crown is, is, is clear uh, uh, in, in the early pace, but also has shown the ability to finish. So again, this is where I'm going to make, uh, I, I think a pretty big play on the win end with white Barrio. Uh, uh, to, to win three, six straight exacta. And then again, I'm going to also look as well to, to adding in, um, I want to throw the two in as well. I think Zandon has the ability to uh, kind of clean up at the end, some nice late page figures there as well. So uh, a, a three, six, 12 over two and, and, a, and a three, two over six, 12 uh, trifecta grading those out in the Breeders Cup Classic. So Last time I had this strong opinion was uh, Vino Rosso. I hope it. Uh, I hope it's the same uh, same results. So usually I am confused as can be uh, when it comes to the classic. So hopefully, hopefully I get my best bet home, which is the number three White Abario and the Bridgestone Classic. I love it. Strong case and some very sophisticated data to back it up for White Abario as the top selection for Met here. Uh, Corey, how about you? Are you going to White Abario or looking elsewhere? Look, I know White Abario has got everything going for him. And again, I'm going to have to concur a bit with, you know, he's, I think he's the most likely winner. Um, the reason you play horses is so that everybody doesn't get an even money shot, right? You look for value, you look for plays. Um, I'm looking for at a horse, which has got a likelihood in my mind uh, to, to run up in the, in the race and finish somewhere in the, in the money in the trifecta, right. Or in the exact. And I'm going to go with the number 13 proxy. Uh, it's been completely overlooked in this field. He's on the far outside. Most people don't even handicap out the 13. When they start looking at that race, they get hung up on the early on the horses inside and say, Oh, I fall in love. Right. Well, proxy's got this interesting couple of angles that stat lines have, you know, kind of fared it out and found ways that you might want to be able to make a, uh, take a stand on saying this is a horse to use in your exotics. Right. So, Here's the thing. It's got Michael Stidham and Joel Rosario. You saw on the outside, uh, he's 12 to 1. So I think he will hit the board. This is my stance. This is my thesis that I'm taking here. Uh, only two career races at a mile and a quarter for that horse, but he's grinded out a second place in each of those, right? Never quits. You watch those races. He almost always looks like he's done, completely shaken, uh, but it can run all day. And he always finds his best stride just late down the middle of the track. So you will watch for him when they turn, make the, turn the corner into the stretch, you'll say, okay, where is he? He'll start to come, right? So the two races at the distance in the Santa Anita handicap in March, kind of toiled near the back of the pack, turned that until that final turn closed really, really well, right? To a, to a good second. And that Jockey Club Gold Cup at Saratoga, uh, this summer he raced much closer to that super hot early pace before losing in a photo finish, right? So he likes the distance, he grinds it out, it always comes on late. Here's an interesting stat. Over the last 20 years, Stidham is 4 of 12 in dirt races at a mile and a quarter. So that's 25%. And 10 of 12, first or second, at the distance on the dirt in those races. All right. So his horses finish well, end up in that first or second exotic really, really often. And with the scratch of the one, Proxy's going to move in. He'll probably break from the 12 post unless there's another scratch. The 12 hole, ironically, is tied for the best winning percentage, 21% of all posts in the Breeders' Cup Classic over the last 34 years, four winners of 19 races have been from, from started from post 12. And one note, him shipping to Santa Anita to run. Proxy's second place finish in that Santa Anita handicap in March was Stidham's last start at Santa Anita and his only dirt starter at Santa Anita since 1991. So it's been a while in between, okay? 
as you mentioned earlier, Abario, probably the most likely winner. So you got to fix him somewhere in your exotics plays. Um, has completely looked like a new horse right, recently since transferring uh, out of the sappy. Joseph Barn, as I agree, uh, very, very visually stunning in that last race. Um, Dutch Rose, you know, already won a Breeders' Cup Classic. Uh, he is in the last 10 days, his starters are two for four. So he's 50%. He's hitting well right now re of recency. Um, here's the only knock. Dutro hasn't won a race at Santa Anita in over 13 years. Last winning in January 16th, 2010 with Amen Hallelujah and the Santa Inez Stakes. So it's been a long time since he's been in the winner's circle at uh, Santa Anita. All right. I like it. Lots of good information there. Great stuff on Mike Stidham as well. Uh, he's training out of Fair Hill now, setting horses all over the country, all over the world. And I feel like he's high percentage wherever he goes. Scott, are you uh, in agreement on either of those? Is it White Abario or Proxy for you or someone else? Yeah, after the scratch mark. Angela, I, I ended up reluctantly on White Abario as well. Um, I also think just that kills the price. I mean, Archangel is going to take a lot of money. Um, and as we've all mentioned, White Abario already, that kind of gives you a good indication of what between that and what I've heard on X, um, I'm not liking where the price is going to go, but I just, I think when you go to the true odds page um, to kind of just look at it from a different perspective and try not to uh, be too redundant here with what we're all mentioning. Um, when you sort it by late pace, it's another one where I like to see, I mean, it's just a horse that's tactical enough to sit fairly close. I think that advantage i mean that late pace advantage is massive again for for a classic i mean that is insane um to have that big of a late pace advantage and i disagree with the pace projector here that you see below i think he will be sitting more where matt was talking about kind of in the in the in the closer stalking range um than where they have him on the race projection early so i think um there's just so many things going for White Abario and just um, as Corey mentioned too, just completely different horse since getting out of Safi Joseph's barn. I, I don't know. I, I don't know why, but I just know that something's clicked and something in this season has just been completely different. And the horse just looks phenomenal right now. Um, I don't think I like Arabian night as a presser. And I just don't think as it's already been talked about as well, the Saudi crown's going to let anybody go in front of them. So um, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, you got to take a look at, at, at both those horses. And the other one that I am interested in is Ushba Tesoro, the eight horse, I believe. Uh, but I just don't, I need, I need to see, this is a perfect example of a horse where I need to see if there are any other clocker reports, the San Anita clockers or anybody else closer enough to the race when they put out the reports. I need to see more about what this horse has been doing, how it's been acting, what's been out there. Christina, you're my best bet usually for like telling me ahead of time because you know everything about, everyone you probably had lunch with the with the connections already but i just don't know enough about this horse i just know the horse has been dominant everywhere they've, they've gone so far um, yeah i can i can jump in there because we've had a lot on him especially even this morning actually on breakfast at the breeders cup uh, he's had a hard time at the gate they've gate schooled him quite a bit and the starting gates here are very different than the gates in japan and or in other places where he has raced the back portions of the gate where you have that little ledge where the assistant starters are standing, it kind of squeezes horses a little bit and it kind of touches them near their stifles and he doesn't like it. He flat refused to go into the gate a couple of days ago. Uh, they took him back this morning. They did get him into the starting gate. They tried putting some padding in there 
to help him out a little bit. He didn't really like that either. I would say he made some progression in his gate schooling today, but he's by no means perfect in the gate. We only have a couple more days for him to figure that out. So it is something to be concerned about. But if if you look at his races, he looks like he's doing it so easily. His Dubai World Cup looked pretty easy for him. He's a perfect five for five on a fast main track, and that's what he's going to get. So I think he could be any kind. I'm I'm interested in him and curious about him, and I'm going to include him. But he's going to be one of those kind of like Auguste Rodin. Until the last second, I don't think you're going to know if he's going to run his race. So it's almost a defensive play if you like him. You're defensively using him because you know he's good enough if he's going to run his race. I'm going to pile on with White Barrio. He's my top pick as well in here. I think you can see, as everyone has mentioned, that progression uh, in his past performances and in his speed figures. You can see that uh, career best last time out. Matt said he was right there to see it with his own eyes in the Whitney. Uh, We can take a look at it as well, just as they turn for home. And I think there's a lot of things that could be at play here. But one one angle that I always look at is improving four-year-olds. And I think you started to see that even back last year, that seven for a long race at Gulfstream in March, his second, or back in the earlier portion of this year, I should say, his second race of the season started to indicate an improving four-year-old. And and this is part of what is so disappointing about seeing the three-year-olds head off to stud so quickly. We don't get to see them do what he's doing now. And that is really fully developing, coming into himself, pouring it on in the late stages of this race. I think he can regress and still win. I mean, that's, that's how good he was last time in the Whitney. I also saw his last work here at Santa Anita. There was a lot talked about because he delayed that work by a few days. Uh, it was initially just due to a shoeing situation. And then they planned to work him on Tuesday. And we have uh, a rule here in Southern California. You cannot breeze on Tuesdays. That's been that way for a while. So that kicked him back another day as well. But his work, I was there and he looked phenomenal earlier this week uh, or last week. I believe it was maybe on Friday, his final work. So I'll put White Barrio on top as well. Ushba Chisoro I will use, but I am concerned about the antics that we have seen from him in the last uh, couple of days. So I think that is going to wrap it up for us. I'll give you guys one last one last opportunity. Any final thoughts, anything else that we've missed or any random horses you want to throw out real quickly before we say goodbye? Matt, we'll start with you. Any last minute horses to tout? Uh, no, I just think the one thing I'll add with, uh, the Ushba de, de, de Soro was, it was pretty bad at the gate. Like it was to the point where I was like on a conference call and I had, uh, you all on with breakfast at the Breeders' Cup. And I'm like, I wonder what two-year-old that is struggling getting into the gate. And then I found out who it was. And I said, oh, wait a minute, we got, uh, you know, Houston, we have a problem. So I felt like it was bad enough, but that's something to really take in. Uh, I know it's obvious it's kind of circulating, but I felt like the, just watching that was pretty was pretty painful and i thought that was uh something i'm taking into account and i probably will i probably will just take that chance to fade and, and stick with my top opinion there but uh that was just one additional thing i wanted to uh to add and uh looking forward to a great weekend Corey, any last minute thoughts from you no christina i think we've covered a ton of ground today um i think everybody's given some pretty interesting insights. Uh, I think there's a lot of ways to go. Um, I will mention, just make sure if you're looking for some of the Pramana stat lines, they're on the Equibase website on the entries page. Uh, So this weekend, tune in and go to every uh, race at the Breeders' Cup and we'll give you some heads up on some interesting facts and figures you may not have known before you place your bets. We definitely will. And you've given us some great ones uh, today on the webinar. Scott, last, uh, last opportunity, any other horses you want to mention or any other betting advice for our listeners and watchers? 
Um, I guess his betting advice is just you don't have to play every race, and I'm more doing this so that say it out loud. So maybe I I do it this year, but you don't have to play the early pick five. You don't like it. You don't have to play. I mean, you can you can pick your spots. There's so many great opportunities, and you're gonna get fair value if not more on so many of the best horses in the world because they're all here. So um, just kind of sit back and wait for the right spot rather than um, getting antsy, find something else to do when you're passing on a race. And I'm telling that for myself. <laughs> I like it. One more quick reminder of those promo codes that are available to you. Uh, the promo code is EQBBC30. That's for all customers. That's 30% off of RaceLens and Equibase PP past performances subscriptions, EQBBC30. And the new customers one for you as well. You can try late race lens for just $1 for a month. And that promo code RLBC1. And as Corey told us, the stat lines are free for everyone. If you can access that from the main site, equibase.com, and then go to the entry section on the website. That will wrap things up for us here on the Equibase Race Lens podcast for your 40th edition of the Breeders' Cup World Thoroughbred Championships. I want to thank Scott Coles, Matt Bagbolgi, and Corey Patton for all of their insight. I'm Christina Blacker from FanDuel TV. Good luck with all of your bets this year at the Breeders' Cup.